Lord, we are so grateful we can gather together as your people this morning and celebrate the reality of your great love for us in Christ. And we pray that as we ponder these great truths, we ask, Lord, you would think our thoughts, that my words would be yours, and that you would bend our wills to yours and set each and every one of our hearts on fire with love for you and one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In the 1983 movie Trading Places, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy play two characters, one privileged and one impoverished. And through the manipulation of the wealthier Dan Aykroyd characters, two uncles, they're manipulated to, into this Trading Places scheme just because the two uncles made a $1 bet. It was when Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy's characters figure out what's happened, they scheme to get back at them. And while it makes for a great Hollywood movie that's quite funny at times, the scripture reminds us that this is deadly serious trading places. And a trading places which the Lord was glad to do for each and every one of us in Christ. So I invite you to turn with me in the book of First John. You can find it toward the back of your bulletin. We're in this series entitled That You May Know. A walk through John's first letter to the early church. This letter was circulating the churches of the Roman Empire. And in the later first century, and last week we learned that John was reminding them in the first seven verses of chapter four, not to be deceived. Don't buy every worldview. Don't don't buy every spirit that comes along and trust the saving grace of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. And so we turn today in verse 7 to the third section of John's letter, Run the Stretch Home. And you're going to hear some repeating themes throughout this letter that we've heard over the past month. And you might be thinking, which is quite natural for us, John's just giving us a pep talk. You can do it. Keep going. But that's not what he's doing. He's giving us good news for each and every one of us. And what we have here in their day and in our is a relevant appeal from God through John to rest in this amazing grace. Look at verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is John the apostle. He saw him, remember, that's the very beginning of the letter. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that's what we have touched, we present to you. And what is his love like? In this is love, verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We've heard that word before. We've been there. We've heard him talk about loving one another. We've heard talk about abiding in his love. These are constant themes which we're going to continue to hear throughout the letter. So it's important that we get it right. He talks about God's propitiating love. Propitiation, that great biblical word, which means Christ came on a rescue mission. That Jesus came and took our place upon the cross in our place taking on all of the Father's settled personal hostility 
to everything that is wrong in the world. The biblical word for that is God's wrath. God took, Jesus took that for us. We should have been there. He was there in our place, trading places. And when we are in Christ, notice, in this is love. When we have placed our trust in that work for us, for me, he gives me his righteousness. That means I am right with God. God is not mad with me. And so therefore, we rejoice. And John continues with the rest of that chapter. But I want to ask the natural question which comes out of this. What type of God would do this for us? Honestly. Look at this amazing grace. Well, I want us to turn to Matthew 11. And let's get back to first things first before we finish up this letter. Because it's all there for us. When Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our holy communion service in the prayer book, when you see those words, they're called the comfortable words. And they are comfortable, aren't they? They give us comfort when we hear them. In an angry, finger-pointing world that we live in, fallible, flawed people like us need such words as these comfortable words. We welcome them. You know, I read Shakespeare, and it's wonderful, and Shakespeare was wise and beautiful, but I've never read Shakespeare that says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. These comfortable words from our Lord resonate with, with our hearts whenever we read them, as if we were standing before us immediately, speaking to us in the moment. You know, I'm, I'm motivated when I read Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech at the Virginia House of Burgesses in 1776. But intuitively, I feel my historical distance from them. But when I hear these words of Jesus, they don't feel like ancient history, do they? They speak directly to us today, right now, with every burden that each and every one of us had, God can carry. Today, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sixteen words that explain the entire message of the Bible. For Christianity is not Christ challenging us. Christianity is Christ offering himself freely to all who have failed to meet the challenge. The gospel is not Jesus saying to us, do better, try harder, run faster. No. What the gospel is offered to everyone who has a past Everyone who has regrets, everyone who has fears, come to him and he will give you rest. See, Jesus is never what we expect. He will always surprise us. Here's God in the flesh, the perfect life lived under the Father, and he's not yelling at us. He's not turning us away. He has propitiating grace for us, and in fact, he's wooing us calling us gently to himself, inviting us to come to him and find rest when we're at our worst. 
For we are those who labor and are heavy laden. Notice, he says, all who labor. Those unbelievers who are laboring, sticking up their middle fingers at the Lord and, and doing it their way. All for those believers who are laboring and sticking their middle finger up the Lord and doing it their way. And all those believers who are doing their very best and laboring, 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 and all feel like they're falling short. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. When we live a life of labor, we're heavy laden. And so the point is, we are a people. We come to church not because we're such great Christians, but because we aren't. We come to church in order to see Jesus, the friend of sinners, who sees high-maintenance people like you and me coming to him for the 19th time in a single day with all our needs, and he never gets tired of our coming. He never looks at his peripheral vision and sees us coming and looks for an exit strategy to run away from you. He welcomes you. This is a sincere welcome. So let's look at these verses real briefly. He says, come. You know, sometimes I could use a change of surroundings and get out of town and some, uh, for a few days, and that's a great idea. But Jesus says, come to me, which will be my true place of calm and rest and hope for the future. And that hope for the future is always found in him. Wherever life takes us, and when life doesn't give us a break, Christ is always there, always inviting us to himself, always offering us himself. And here's what's surprising about this word. In the Greek, this is not the typical word for come. It's not a command. It's an exclamation. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, over here, come. He's gently inviting us. The point is Jesus isn't calling us to change from being motionless to coming. He's calling us to change from going in all the wrong directions that we naturally go. <laughs> Looking for rest in all the wrong places. Coming over to him, the only one who won't betray us, but will give us rest. So to people like us in a world crowded with distractions that promise much to us and only end up taking much from us, to us, Jesus says, hey guys, over here, come. And he invites us just as we are. Because, friends, he's on to you. He's on to me. He knows us. He knows what's really going on, and he knows how we're not really doing all that well, and he doesn't invite us despite all that. He invites us because of all that. Come to me. Jesus doesn't think the way we do. To him, what qualifies us to come is to have nothing but need. He says three verses earlier, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. What person would pick little children for a movement? He jumped over the adults and chose you to be on his team. 
He wasn't stuck with us. He chose and passed over all the impressives, all the heavy hitters. What kind of little team wins the World Series and beats the Yankees? One with a great coach. There's only there's a reason why our Lord invites all who labor in a heavy raiding. He, he loves giving his best to anyone who is humble enough to receive it, the heart sick, to open up to him, and he makes us a promise, brothers and sisters, that he will give you rest. I will settle you in my grace. I will hold on to you. I will support you. I will get you through this. I will use you in your generation for my glory. Just come to me. The people most responsive to Jesus are always those whose hearts are broken over their own rebellion, their own sin, broken over the madness of this world, and Jesus invites them all. Notice, let's not miss that little word, all. He invites all who labor and are heavy laden. He isn't picky. When he says all, he means all, and he can take it. Whatever anybody brings, all of it, from all of us, come. Are you wounded in conscience today? Are you saddened by the condition of our culture and our world? He's saying, hey, friend, come over here. I died for you. I rose for you. I ascended for you. I'm here for you. I will give you rest, and everything else will ultimately let you down. I am so thankful for this word. I will give you rest. Because we don't deserve it. <laughs> but that's the whole point of the gospel. Jesus has promised to give rest and relief and assurance and newness of life that all his grace, our only part is to come. That's all we can do, come. What then do we stand to gain when we come? Notice what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the only verse in the New Testament where Christ describes himself. His deepest core being, and what does he show us when he takes us there? That he's gentle and lowly. Gentle. We have been parachuted, rocketed into the universe of ultimate reality, and that ultimate reality is gentle and lowly. Gentle, considerate, unassuming, and meek. The opposite is pushy and demanding. He's lowly, meaning he's undistinguished, he's approachable, he's subservient. These were despised characteristics in the ancient world. It felt to them like servile and subservient. Who in all this world is willing to be gentle and lowly enough to let us sinner put all our feelings and problems and longings onto his to-do list? Jesus. Jesus who says a life of trusting in his propitiating work is like carrying a yoke that is easy and whose burden is light. <laughs> wow. 
here's how this is a game changer for me. I'm sure you guys aren't like me. There's something inside of me that's spring-loaded to think, of course I want my life to, to count for Christ. But my problem is I really can't open myself up to him totally. Because if I do that, he would ask too much of me. And therefore, uh, honestly, I know God means well in all of this, but if I give him an inch, he'll take a mile of me. And he doesn't understand how weak I am. Even if I start out strong, I'll fail, and I won't be able to make it to the end. And so I just don't try. You ever felt like that? You ever start off in a small group and never saw it through? Guilty. Been there. Done that. Right? You ever been as ridiculous as I am? That is us saying to Jesus, your yoke's not easy. You're unendurable. It's unsustainable. See, I read these words, I will give you rest, and something enters my mind with, you know what, I'll look it up in the Greek, and I'll bet you to say my yoke is, is miserable. But I did look it up, and that's not what it means. We are not such spectacular sinners that for the first time in history, our sins will defeat the Son of God and leave him spent and exhausted. He's been proving his love for 2,000 years now. So let's just let him decide how far his grace is willing to go in our lives, okay? The cross and the empty tomb are industrial strength grace, propitiating grace for each and every one of us this morning. There's for serious sinners like us. So when he comes, says, come to me, he means it. He's ready. And this is love, that God loved us and sent his propitiating grace, and therefore we can love one another. And that shows that his abiding grace is in us, John says. Put all your spiritual weight upon him. When I was a kid, we had a creek near our house that in the wintertime, even in Virginia, we could skate and play ice hockey on. It was phenomenal. You know, so we took our hockey stick, we put our skates over, and one of us brought a hammer. Because my old man said, just make sure you test the ice and don't skate on it until you know it's thick enough. So we looked in the Cub Scout manual, and the Cub Scout manual said it had to be five inches for 20 kids to skate on. So we said, okay, five inches. So we measured five inches on our stake, went to the far end where we wouldn't skate, and we tried to chop off and measure if it was safe for us to go. And even when we knew it was safe, even when you couldn't break it, what would we do? Just wanted to make sure that we didn't fall through. How many of you are doing that with Jesus? No. Put your skates on. Get on the ice of Christ Jesus. Let your full weight down on him and his dying love for you, even at your worst, that our sin, in your, your worst sin in your past, the sin that haunts you and troubles you and settles you and hand it over to Jesus today, he can take it. Why not dare to believe him defying everything else except his invitation to give it over to him and move on today rejoicing 
in his amazing propitiating grace. This is reality. And this is the reality, reality that we're baptizing Cooper James into today. In a few minutes, through Holy Communion, we're going to come. We get up out of our seats. We're invited to come forward where our Lord is saying to all of us, my dying love for you is so real you can taste it. Come to me. And we will come to him. And we will drink in his propitiating love for us right where we need him most. And he'll give us rest no matter what we're going through. And we'll be encouraged. We'll be empowered. We'll love one another. We'll abide in his love and bless one another and bless the world and have a story to tell that this is good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this wonderful passage in both John and Matthew that remind us of your amazing love. The world has so many different definitions of love, and yet here's where we see it. That this is love, that God loved us and was the propitiation for us. And therefore, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill us. And if there be anyone here this morning who feels in such a way they're not good enough or they're, they have to get their act together, Lord, we surrender it all to you and give you our lives. And we ask that you would abide in us so that we could truly love you, love one another, and love others if you have called us to. In our day, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.